Rheumatic diseases do not discriminate across gender or race, but rheumatologists acknowledge that there are certain diseases that are more prevalent in minority populations. You are listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Renee Allen, board-certified OBGYN and practicing OBGYN hospitalist. Joining me today is Dr. Zena Whittier, a board-certified rheumatologist who's practicing in Marietta, Georgia. Dr. Whittier, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Whittier, could you give a little bit of your background to our listening audience as so that they can understand why you are such a great expert on this particular topic? I did my undergraduate training at the University of Texas at Austin, and I also went on to complete a master's in medical science at Hampton University before attending medical school at the Virginia Commonwealth University. And I went on from graduation to complete a residency in internal medicine at Auctioner in New Orleans, where I was also a chief resident. And then I did my subspecialty training in rheumatology, and we have one of the top programs in the nation there. We've got a lot of research that goes on there in rheumatology, and I did that at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Some rheumatologic disorders have higher rates in certain racial and ethnic minorities. Can you give us a little bit more information about this? So one of the most important diseases that we treat is lupus. And overall, there are higher rates of lupus in African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Native Americans, and Hispanics. For example, in African-Americans, they are three times as likely compared to Caucasian women to develop lupus. The disease also tends to develop earlier and to be more severe in African-Americans with mortality rates also three times as likely compared to Caucasian women. And I reference women here because lupus is more common in women, but as we know, it can also certainly affect men. And then when we talk about some of our other diseases, it's not necessarily that the prevalence is higher, but the impact of the disease can be more severe. So, for example, in rheumatoid arthritis, there is this increased prevalence in certain minority populations, such as Native Americans, where they have slightly higher prevalence compared to Caucasians. But although African Americans and Hispanics don't have quite as high a prevalence, they appear to be disproportionately affected in terms of functionality, activity limitations, and pain. So again, we see here that the impact of the disease can be more severe in certain populations. So why do patients in some of these groups tend to do worse even after they've been correctly diagnosed? Why do you think, Dr. Whittier? So we know there's some genetic susceptibility in certain racial and ethnic groups that leads to more severe disease, and certainly they're doing more research in that regard. But outside of that, there are also factors such as racial bias and low socioeconomic status involved. And when we talk about low socioeconomic status, we know this occurs across all races. But we also know that some minority populations are severely affected and disadvantaged by socioeconomic status for many reasons. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen, and it is my pleasure to be speaking with Dr. Zena Whittier, a board-certified rheumatologist who is currently practicing in Marietta, Georgia. Dr. Whittier, the first half of the interview, we were discussing discrepancies there are amongst minorities with regards to rheumatologic disorders. How do some of these health disparities occur? What, what is your opinion on that? These occur for several reasons, and we can take a look at some of kind of the major reasons. So one is access. So those that are more disadvantaged may be living in areas where there are no specialists such as rheumatologists, and they have less access to multidisciplinary care and things like that. 
And then there can also be insurance issues with access. So physicians may not take Medicaid, and oftentimes these patients will have Medicaid and have to travel long distances to get their care. Poverty is another reason. So we know that poverty leads to increased mortality, and that's due to a decreased quality of life, increased depression, and also increased disease activity. But why do these things occur? It's because of the lack of resources and support that patients in these economically disadvantaged situations have, and also stressors in their environment. For example, they may be in a situation where they have not only financial issues, but they may be living in areas where there's a lot of violence and and things like that. Diet is another issue that can be factored into poverty. So when you have access to poor quality of food, you can have increased likelihood of getting other illnesses such as hypertension, diabetes, and these can further complicate illnesses such as lupus, which on their own are already quite complicated and severe diseases. Another thing is racial bias and discrimination. And this really can't be dismissed. It still occurs, and we must continue to acknowledge and address this in the medical community. And I can give you a recent example, actually, of a study that was done at the University of Virginia and actually mentioned in one of our American College of Rheumatology publications recently. And this study was looking at racial bias. It focused on white medical students and residents and some of the beliefs they had on biological differences between black and white people. So just to give you an idea, this is not a thorough list, but some of the thoughts that these students had were that blacks age more slowly than whites, blacks' nerve endings are less sensitive compared to whites, black people's blood coagulates more quickly than whites, whites have larger brains than blacks, and just a couple more here, but whites have a more efficient respiratory system than blacks, and blacks have a stronger immune system than whites. So these are our medical students and residents around the country, and so clearly we have more work to do in this regard. And then we talk about also cultural differences, which you can kind of correlate that with racial discrimination to some degree. For example, African Americans have a distrust of the medical community, and particularly when you consider the history of programs such as the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. And so you can understand why they would be wary of medications and enrolling in clinical trials. And so this has an impact because sometimes, you know, people have such severe disease and our traditional medicines aren't working and, you know, clinical studies can actually be quite helpful, but they're just reluctant to get into those studies for the aforementioned reasons. So a variety of things. What are some of the ways do you think that we can address these disparities as clinicians? How can we close this gap, Dr. Whittier? So I think the first thing is we need to be aware of both health and healthcare disparities and then work in various ways, whether that's in research or developing different strategies and and tools to improve measures. That needs to be a, a key focus amongst all of us. Then I think education is also key. So both for clinicians and patients. So on the clinician's end, you want to be able to identify the disease earlier so you're ensuring prompt referral to a specialist and if they have involvement in organs that require other specialists, you know, a multidisciplinary approach. And for patients, especially in high-risk communities, educating them about key features of the disease, what to look for, and in those who are diagnosed, making sure they understand their disease, the potential complications, the medications that they're on, the importance of regular follow-up. And lastly, I would say, again, access is very important. As a healthcare system, we need to expand access to our patients so that they get the right care. 
Dr. Whittier, in these final few moments of this interview, is there any other information that you would like to make sure that our listening audience is aware of with regards to this topic? I think I would just encourage people if they have an interest in this area, if they happen to have several patients that they have that have lupus or other rheumatologic disorders, they can get involved through many organizations. For example, the Lupus Initiative is constantly doing studies and awareness and things like that. So that's something that they could help from a clinician standpoint to get not only themselves involved, but their patients involved. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Zena Whittier, for joining us today. Dr. Whittier, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. To access this episode and others in this series and to download the ReachMD app, please visit ReachMD.com. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Be part of the knowledge.